covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us for another week's worth of talk about the Milwaukee Brewers, our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the program. If you want to get in contact with me, the best way to do so is via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and can subscribe, leave a ranking and review, that would be much, much, much appreciated. Our featured conversation this week is going to be with Kyle Lesneski, the managing editor of Brew Crew Ball. He is going to join us coming up in just a few moments. As we open up the podcast, just want to comment on what happened this past week with Devin Williams winning the Rookie of the Year award. I thought it was incredibly an incredibly deserving honor for him. At the same time, I was really surprised because his profile is not a profile of someone who would win this type of award. In, in the history of the award, no player who has ever had zero saves and zero starts has ever won the award, and he had that. And when you dug into the numbers a little bit, what he did was, I mean, he had a historic season, giving up just one earned run, a .33 ERA. He had 53 strikeouts in 27 innings. I mean, this guy, it's just absolutely incredible what he was able to do. But we, we know still the reliance on what I always refer to as baseball card stats for some. I hear it from people. I, I hear it from people all when I'm doing the post-game show. There are still people, and it, not so much this year because there were no fans in the stands, but there are still people out there who don't like the fact that on the scoreboard at Miller Park, when the lineup is shown, it doesn't show average next to a player's name. It shows their OPS. And that's something that still bugs people to this day. There's people who just like the baseball card stats. When I say baseball card stats for a pitcher, we're talking wins, we're talking losses, we're talking saves, we're talking ERA. We talk about position players, uh, batting average, home runs, RBIs, that sort of thing. And we, a conversation I want to have at some point in time is: is it actually good for baseball in terms of like the baseball fandom that? more complex, hard-to-understand metrics are being used to evaluate players. From a game-being-played standpoint, teams and organizations who are really good at uh, analyzing data in a certain way, obviously they have an advantage. But when all of a sudden the numbers that longtime baseball fans are used to having matter, not matter anymore or matter less, I guess, would be the better way to say it. Is that a good thing of baseball, a bad thing for baseball, a neutral thing for baseball? It's an interesting conversation because I think for for younger people, for people who are more uh, stat-driven, uh, a lot of people probably listening to this podcast, there's a pretty good chance you're uh, on Twitter and, and different social media and all that sort of stuff. You're somebody who's probably more locked into the advanced data where – Somebody who's not into all that thing, those things, and, and don't totally understand it, whether they they don't want to understand it or whether they discount it, whatever it might be, uh, they look at it a different way. So, good or bad for baseball from a fan standpoint, I don't know, uh, but I, I I certainly digress off the conversation about Devin Williams. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool for Williams. I mean, the numbers he put up were 
they were special, flat out special. And uh, he becomes the first relief pitcher since the Braves cut Craig Kimbrell to win Rookie of the Year in 2011, and he becomes the first non-closer since Scott Williamson of the Reds all the way back in 1999 to be named the National League Rookie of the Year. So congratulations to him. I think well-deserved. I, I, I know well-deserved. I'm very confident in saying well-deserved. I was incredibly surprised that the voters went that way, and it was a pleasant surprise, and I'm glad they did it. I was not expecting the voters to vote for a guy who had no starts and no saves as the rookie of the year, as a relief pitcher, but they did it. They got it right, and uh, kudos to them, and we'll talk more about that coming up in uh, just a few moments during our conversation with Kyle Lesneski. So speaking of that, let's get to it. Kyle Lesneski, he is the managing editor at Brew Crew Ball, and he joins us here in just a moment. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra News, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy to welcome back onto the podcast. He is the managing editor of Brew Crew Ball. Follow him on Twitter at Kyle underscore, I'll just spell it, L-E-S-N-I-E-W-S-K-I. It is Kyle Lesneski. Hey, Kyle, thanks for your time. I always appreciate you coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing good. Uh, a few things to get into, and we're going to talk a lot of off-season stuff and uh, look at the off-season kind of through the through the vision of, of living in a pandemic right now. So we'll get to that in a moment. But want to start off with the news from this past week that uh, Devin Williams won the National League Rookie of the Year. And he is the first player to ever win Rookie of the Year as far as a pitcher goes without either having a start or a save. Can you just tell me from your from your standpoint – how significant it is that he was able to win that award in a way that nobody had ever won that award before? I think it just kind of goes to show how the way we look at baseball players and how we evaluate baseball players just continues to evolve. And, you know, throughout the history of, of the game, the stuff like wins and saves and batting average and, you know, home runs, RBIs, all that kind of stuff, those counting stats have have really been, um, you know, weighed very heavily when it comes to these kinds of awards. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of trending away from that in recent years, um, you know, sabermetrics and all the advanced statistics, all that kind of stuff continues to become more widespread. So I think, you know, this was just kind of a culmination of a shortened season and a pitcher who had a truly standout campaign not only this year but you know when you when you look across all relief seasons in history i mean this guy set records for strikeouts uh, he gave up only one run all year uh, he, he was just nails all season long so i mean he's certainly certainly deserving of the award um i'll be honest i was a little surprised when he did win it yeah. uh, just because you know i think uh, Tom Hardercourt got some got some guff about it online, but um, you know the fact of weighing position players versus uh, pitchers, especially a relief pitcher, and um, you know the the strong seasons that guys like um, Bain and Cronenworth uh, Cronenworth put up this year, um, you know certainly a, a bevy of deserving candidates. But um, you know when you kind of take a step back and look at the historical significance of of Devin Williams' campaign, it's certainly easy to see that he's a, a very deserving winner and. Um, I think that another thing that's important to note is the fact that Williams and uh, Kyle Lewis from Seattle were the first 
two black players to win uh, Rookie of the Year in the same season in over 30 years. So I think that's hopefully a, a good sign for the way the game is trending as they try to um, – you know, reinvigorate baseball in, in inner city communities. And, and that just gives all those young kids, you know, that, that much more of an example to look up to as, as guys who are successful in the game right now who are, who are being recognized for their skills. Yeah, I, I think it was Devin Williams who said this. Um, oh, man, if I, I'm misquoting, I feel, I feel like a jerk. But it was either Devin Williams saying this or one of the national baseball people talking uh, about the accomplishment of Devin Williams. I just kind of heard it in passing, but the idea that as a young kid, if you don't see somebody doing something that looks like you, you might not feel like that you've got the opportunity to go do it. So in a very, in a way now, you've got these kids who can look at those two players who just won Rookie of the Year and look to have really long standout major league careers and everybody else who and, and Williams specifically is doing something that we we've never really seen people do you just mentioned how how historic his season was it's fantastic now that young kids across the country who look like Devin Williams are able to look at him and say okay a guy who looks like me is out there playing baseball doing this yeah absolutely representation is is extremely important you know across across all fields and uh, you know, like I said, I think it's it's going to be very important for the game and the continued growth of the game um, that more and more people of different kind of backgrounds, different kind of races, and that kind of stuff are succeeding and, and getting the chance to have these opportunities within the game. You mentioned the guff that Tom Hodricourt took, and, and Andrew Wagner was the other Milwaukee-based writer who, uh, who was voting, and neither one of them voted Williams in first place. I gotta be honest with you. So if I, I, a, I, I think Williams was absolutely deserving of it. Uh, B, I'm really glad the baseball writers across the country recognize that. But C, if I was a Milwaukee-based writer, I, I would be sitting there looking at that ballot, saying to myself, "Well, I think Devin Williams is deserving, but nobody like him has ever won this award." Am I only voting for him because I watched him every day? Is there a is there a Milwaukee bias that goes along with it? That would sneak into my head, and I I honestly can't say for sure what I would have done if I would have been in either of those two individuals' place. But I would argue that it was actually tougher to vote for Devin Williams as a Milwaukee-based sports writer than it is as a as a sports writer in, in another market. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And I think for those two guys specifically, it was going to end up being kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situation, almost regardless. Um, you know, of course, you vote for Devin Williams and then, you know, the hometown bias, blah, blah, blah. This guy's from Milwaukee. Um, you know, of course, you're going to go vote for the Milwaukee guy because, you know, it, it's sort of rare that players from this market get, get recognition. Maybe not so much in recent years with Christian Yelich, but, um, you know, there's a lot of lean years where, uh, players from this team and this franchise didn't really get recognized for their accomplishments. So, um, and I think Hardcore really made a, a good case for why um, Bain specifically was a was a very deserving candidate. Uh, obviously, had two strong offensive months, and um, I think it was worth noting, uh, like the success specifically that he had with runners in scoring position, and with how weird this year kind of was, and how you can't really like look into small sample sizes in terms of judging like a player's overall talent, I think maybe that it 
might weigh some of those counting statistics like that a little bit more heavily because, um, you know, you don't have the, a full season's worth of stats and wins above replacement and all that kind of stuff to judge. So, you know, there's only a handful of, of winning games and, and winning moments that you can really kind of look back on when you're looking at a guy's overall campaign and, and worthiness to win one of these awards. So it was certainly a, a difficult year in terms of voting and, um, you know, kind of like I said at, at the beginning, I think it was sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for, for those two Milwaukee writers. And um, I don't think they should they should feel bad for, for the way that they voted or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, it, it was certainly nice for, for the city and, and for every all, all the other reasons involved for, for Devin Williams to win that award. We're kind of in a weird area right now because enough time has passed since the season ended that – the reflection period is it's kind of over. Like there's there's not a whole lot more you can say, but we're also nowhere near free agency really kicking up because we just don't expect there to be much action here for a while as teams are still evaluating what next season is even going to look like. You guys do such a good job of, of creating content on a, on a daily basis at Brew Crew Ball. How do you even go about uh, – let's start with this part – I think evaluating a 60-game season is really tough. I made this point when the team announced that uh, Andy Haynes was going to be coming back. I don't really know if Andy Haynes is a good hitting coach or not, but in a 60-game season, it's really tough. It's it's tough to evaluate a hitting coach no matter what, but in a 60-game season, mm-hmm. you really don't know what's real and what's not real. How do you guys go about evaluating over the course of a 60-game season what went well, what didn't go well, and how that should kind of dictate the decisions that this club should make as the offseason trudgingly moves forward? Um, I think, you know, when it when it comes to evaluating a roster and, and coming off of a shortened season like that, um, you've got to recognize how much off-the-field stuff can come into and, and affect what's going on on a day-to-day basis for these individual players. And for fans who are disconnected from the game, that can really be kind of a difficult thing to wrap your head around. You know, it just, you, you look at these guys and these players almost as robots who just go to the park in the morning, do their work, play a game, and then, and then go home after that. But there's so much more involved, especially when you think about what all had to happen in order for the season to go on and, you know, all the different protocols that needed to be observed and, um, you know, guys who, you know, maybe had families that were that were back home that normally they'd be able to see at certain points throughout the year, but, you know, didn't, weren't really able to do that. You know, I mean, we, I, we certainly saw what, um, what Lorenzo Cain went through as he, you know, weighed his decision and eventually opted out of the season. And, um, you know, you, you got to imagine that for a lot of guys, there was stuff like that going on in their head. And it's, it's hard for that not to be a distraction when when you're taking it out onto the field. I mean, you know, think about any kind of workplace. If if you have a bad day at, at home, you know, it's sometimes it's difficult not to take that place instead of you know how you're operating at work. So for to expect all of these players to go out and kind of just carry on as sort of a business as usual kind of thing, I think is is very unfair to players and, and evaluators within front offices who now need to look back and, and figure out what this season meant and what it's going to mean going forward. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough to weigh specifically what happened this year for guys who struggled. Um, I think the guys who were successful this year and who were able to kind of endure all the things that were involved in this campaign, you know, maybe that 
uh, gives them a little bit of a boost as, as guys who head into the open market, stuff like that. Um, but I think it's going to be dictated a lot more by track record and, and what players have done over the course of their major league careers um, versus so much as what, what a guy did in 2020 in his platform year heading into you know, what's going to be a very weird free agency. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just kind of like taking a step back and, and taking stock of the overall market, seeing who's available and, and all that kind of stuff. But at this point, it's difficult, I guess, to peg, you know, who's going to be an obvious candidate for multi-year deals, who's going to be receiving these super mega deals on the free agent market, because we just don't really know what any of the economics of the game are going to look like next year. There's been estimates that, um, you know, every team lost out on on an average of about $100 million in revenue this year. There's been estimates that the Brewers specifically lost out on about $180 million of potential game day revenue by not having fans in the stands. And um, obviously that's going to significantly affect what a team like Milwaukee is going to be able to to do in free agency uh, as they constantly talk about how important in-game attendance is for their revenues. And, you know, we've already seen a lot of... um, cutting back as far as the business side of, of things, um, ticket sales, social media people. Um, there's been cuts back in uh, other departments and scouting department, analytics department, all that kind of stuff. And, and that's pretty much true across the game right now. So, you know, it's, it's really going to be difficult to, I guess, f- figure out and, and take a guess what any individual player's worth might be on the open market this year until we get a little bit further in and, and teams have a little bit better grasp of what 2021 might look like, whether or not there's going to be a designated hitter again, whether or not there's going to be any fans allowed into the games, what might that look like, how many, any of that kind of stuff, and what the increased costs in hosting games with fans amid a pandemic look like and how they're going to be able to make sure everything is clean and sanitized and taken care of throughout the course of the season. Major League Baseball cites somewhere between $2.7 and $3.1 billion in operating losses. Now, operating losses doesn't mean that they lost that money. It just it, it means that's money that did not come in. And um, the players will probably take issue with that number. They don't think it's that much. But no matter what, the money that normally is there was not there this year um rob manfred spoke this past week and he talked about the need i think he referred to playing another season without fans as not being tenable for major league baseball and the number they gave out is uh numbers or the revenue connected to attendance accounts for about 40 percent of overall revenue so that's not just ticket sales it's the hot dog it's the beer it's the uh the 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 t-shirt that you buy at the uh, at the pro shop whatever it might be um so, and I would have to think that if the overall number is forty percent across Major League Baseball, if that number is legit, and none of us really know anything, well, all we can do is take at face value some of these things are being said. If they if they say forty percent is the is the average, then that probably is even higher for the Brewers because they don't have the TV money that's coming in and other nat- other things that go along with being in larger markets. So, I guess I say all that to first off, let's get to this part. Like when you hear those numbers. Do you do you think that they're probably at least in the the neighborhood, or do you feel like it's major league baseball owners crime poor? I mean, you know, it's it's kind of tough as somebody on the outside to say to say one way or another. Um, but in general, I'm I'm usually skeptical of of any kind of 
ownership group and, and all that sort of stuff saying that they can't do this or can't do that. I mean, the way that, you know, these guys buy that, somebody just bought the New York Mets, Steve Cohen just bought the New York Mets for a record amount of $2.5 billion, I believe, was, yeah. was somewhere in that neighborhood. So, I mean, the, the money is is still still seems to be there up at the top, and it's, you know, I, like I said, I just, I have difficulty, like, buying into a lot of that stuff. But regardless of whether or not I think that those figures are true or close to accurate or anything like that, it's it's going to be what ownership groups and what front offices use throughout the winter to justify how much they spend or or maybe better their their lack of spending throughout the winter. So whether or not we think that it's legitimately the case, that's probably what's going to end up happening. So I don't think anybody should should really be surprised at this point when the brewers come out and say, you know, we're say in, in so many words that we're facing difficulties and, you know, things are going to look a little bit different payroll-wise next year. And they've already kind of floated out some, some trial balloons suggesting that payroll is probably going to go down again next season. So um, whether or not that makes any fans feel better, I, I, I don't think anybody's really going to, you know, with everything else that's gone on in, in terms of you know people's employment and all that kind of stuff throughout the year, I don't think anybody's going to feel bad for um, a major league baseball owner as they talk about how they operated in the red or, or something this year. Um, but that's that's just going to kind of be how things are going to go, I think. So that, that kind of leads me to my second question. You answered it a little bit, but I'll, I'll still ask. Do you think when these decisions are being made this year, do you think free agent decisions are going to be more motivated off of the lack of revenue this past year or kind of the fear of the unknown, not knowing what level of revenue will be coming in next season because there's just so many unknowns going into next year. I think at this point, it's difficult to assume that they're going to again have a season with no fans. Um, You know, especially we've seen in other major sports now um, in this football specifically, obviously going on right now that, a lot of places are having games with fans in the stadium and, you know, figuring out how to make that work. Um, the Milkman in, in Franklin uh, operated all season long for the American Association season with, you know, up to 1,600 fans in the stands and the, the other teams in the American Association had similar setups and um, there weren't any COVID cases or anything that were able to be traced back to that. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's ways to have and host safe games uh, obviously, what that looks like on a scale for Major League Baseball and for the Brewers is going to be different for you know a uh, minor league team in the American Association or or something like that. Um, but you know that it, it's a it's a pretty big space inside of Miller Park and inside of all these other all these other stadiums. So if they can figure out what the right portion is of amount of people that they're going to allow in versus the amount of they're able to make sure that everybody has and how they're able to set up all these different seating environments and all that kind of stuff. I think that's just kind of going to end up being the way. I, I would agree that I don't, I don't think Major League Baseball is, is going to actively seek to have another season without fans. So I do think that across the game we'll probably see some increased revenues next year, um, but I don't think that that's going to necessarily affect in a positive way how free agency goes this year. Just you know, like I've said, the, the way that it seems like every front office is talking about right now. And, you know, we've seen some 
oddities in free agency in the past where it seems like ownership groups and front offices all at the same time kind of figure out how to value players or value players differently. And that's led to some talk about collusion and stuff in, in previous winters. And, um, you know, it, it wouldn't really surprise me to see a market similar to what we saw in like 2017 and, and 2018 again this winter. I would think, I could be wrong on this, I would think that this is going to be the year of the one-year deal because it gives owners an opportunity not to extend themselves. And then um, from a player standpoint, if they feel like they're not going to be able to maximize their value this offseason, sign a one-year deal and, and try again next year, in a way... Can that be a benefit to the Brewers, kind of in the way that they went out and got a Yasmani Grandal on a one-year deal? Do the Brewers maybe play along in free agency further with some of the more high-profile names who might be more willing to do a one-year deal this year? I mean, I certainly would agree with you that I think we're going to see a significant amount of one-year deals across the game. Um, But I guess for the Brewers whether or not they're going to be able to add any impactful players on a one-year deal. Um, that still kind of feels like an open question to me. I guess if you, if you think back to the Yasmani Grandal deal specifically, um, he's, he was willing to sign a one-year deal because he wanted to, he wanted to set a record for um, free agent contracts for catchers. And he was able to do that with his eighteen and a quarter million dollar guarantee from uh, from Milwaukee, and then he hit free agency for the following winter, and he got over seventy million dollars guaranteed. Um, but you know, coming off of last year, I guess I don't I don't necessarily expect the Brewers to be the team that would pony up to make a guy the highest paid player at his position on a one year deal or, or something like that. Just kind of based on all the language that the team has put out, not only this year but last year after they talked about. You know how they extended themselves to make those signings of of Grandal and and Mustakis for one year, and then you know they came back after the year and they spent the whole winter talking about how they operated in the red and they slashed payroll by about twenty five percent, and then they come into this year and you know it, it just it it doesn't feel like to me specifically that the Brewers are going to be setting themselves up to take advantage of, of those kinds of opportunities for, you know, elite level players. But if there is a team in major league baseball, that's willing to spend some money this year, um, then that, you know, certainly could be opportunities for, for them to take advantage of. David Stearns openly admitted in the postseason that some of the moves he made last year did not work. And, they they signed a bunch of guys who were kind of bounce-back candidates or they, they signed guys thinking that they could give them a larger role and maybe they would play into it. And, and really, the only guy that really worked for was was Jed Jerko, and he had a nice season. It's not like he had this fantastic all-star season. The fact that, and again, Stearns can only do whatever he can do based off the money that's available, but it, the fact that he was willing to admit that last year some of those decisions did not work, would that make you think that the approach this offseason might be different? Uh, I, again, it's it's difficult for me to think that business is going to be much different in terms of how they operate after a season like we saw in 2020. And, you know, I, I think maybe when, when Stern says, you know, we, we made some, some mistakes, uh, you know, maybe it just comes back to looking at different processes for how they evaluate those players. But they're still going to, I think, 
in general be be shopping in that same sort of level of free agency, looking at those guys who are going to be available on those smaller one-year deals, um, guys who were maybe injured last year, coming ba- coming back from a, a down season or something like that. Um, I still I still feel pretty confidently that those are the sorts of deals that the Brewers are going to pursue. And if for some reason the market is really, really, really down, like more than you know anybody expects, and and you can get you know a, a star player on a one-year, ten million dollar deal or something like that, then you know maybe they would maybe they would roll the dice on that. But again, it's difficult, I guess, for me to envision the Brewers giving out that kind of money this off season. I'm sure Brewers fans are listening to this podcast right now and and not loving the idea of that and. You take it one step further, this is a team that's got a centerpiece player in Christian Yelich. It's a team that can run out Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns as your one-two starters, and there's not a lot of National League teams that can that can do that. So you've, you've got kind of that core of a team that should be very competitive, but obviously we learned this past year, a team that did not even get to 500, you need more than that to... To, to win a lot of games, and it just feels like, from what you're saying, that you're not expecting them to have a lot more than that. Yeah, I think I think it's going to end up being another offseason of, you know, they're going to make some moves. They, they have some clear holes that need to be filled. Uh, once again, they don't have a very strong farm system, so it's going to be difficult for them to go out and, you know, make trades for impact players or, or anything like that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just going to be another case of, of putting together a team that, you know, if you take a step back and you squint at them just right, you can, you can see how they might be competitive and then cross your fingers that, that that's how the season plays out. Um, but you know, I guess it's, it's always kind of interesting to see how teams choose their words and, and how GMs talk about it. And it, you know, the, the Brewers always are talking about, we want to be competitive. We want to be playing in meaningful games. You know, they're not they're not promising that they're going to go out and, and spend a bunch of money to win the division or, or you know anything like that. They're they're just talking about figuring out how they can be sustainably competitive. And sustainably competitive for the Brewers has typically meant you know figuring out how they can combine some homegrown talent that they have under control with some uh, efficiently spent money on the free agent market to put together a, a team that's decent enough to, to win some games and be there at the end of the year. So you know, I think that's, that's kind of going to be what Pope is this off season as they, as they sort of navigate this flooded market. Last thing for you, uh, you mentioned earlier the Milwaukee Milkman and you're, uh, you're a big part of what they do from a player procurement standpoint, from a, a data analysis standpoint. I don't think we have spoken since uh, they won the championship. If we did, it was a, it was immediately following, but just, I mean, how how enjoyable was it to see them go out, win a championship, and as you alluded to earlier, actually be able to have fans in the stands and do it that way? Yeah, it was really an incredible experience all year long, and and being in the dugout and being in the locker room with those guys and just kind of kind of getting an up close and personal view about how these professional players go about their business on a day to day basis, and and seeing how these guys were able to navigate the different protocols and. Um, Having an experience like that really kind of goes a long way towards coloring how you build a team and, and the things that you prioritize. And, you know, you can really see what a cohesive clubhouse looks like and how important that is to having success. And 
um, you know, the, the kinds of behind-the-scenes things that coaches do um, to help players prepare on a day-to-day basis. You know, going back to our, our chat a little bit earlier, you know, saying that it's difficult to evaluate a hitting coach like Andy Haynes. I, I would say it's pretty much impossible for um, somebody outside of an organization to really evaluate what a coach is doing on a day-to-day basis because there's just so much that that goes into those positions that wouldn't even occur to, you know, somebody who, who doesn't really know what's going on. Um, so it was, you know, it was really an incredible season all year long to, to be able to have, excuse me, have fans and, and play in front of fans and, and give people in the Milwaukee area that experience of being able to come out and safely enjoy a game and, and, you know, see a pretty, pretty strong product on the field that, you know, obviously was able to take care of business during the regular season. And then, uh, you know, we went out and um, played very well in Sioux Falls in the championship and were able to win that series in five games. So I think it's going to be um, an exciting winter for us. I think there's going to be a lot of exciting things ahead for our team, our franchise, and our league specifically now as we've become a partner league with uh, with Major League Baseball. So I think, um, you know, it's only going to continue to be um, exciting things for the Milkman and for the American Association moving forward. It's. I spent two years working in independent baseball as a broadcaster, and I love independent baseball, and I think it's got a really strong place and position in the professional baseball world. You mentioned that being a partner league, and Major League Baseball is really starting to embrace the independent leagues, and it, it started really last year when they when they ran some of their experimental stuff through the Atlantic League. Kyle, I, gotta, I, I never thought I'd see this day come. I can remember talking to a minor league baseball general manager mind you i was i was a minor league i was an independent league broadcaster trying to get into affiliated ball and i remember talking with a a minor league gm who essentially said if he saw anybody apply for a job with his team who had independent who had been working in the independent leagues that he wouldn't even interview him wouldn't even look at the resume that they were just thrown out immediately and we're talking not even 10 years ago the bias that existed from independent mm-hmm. but towards independent baseball from either major league baseball or affiliated minor league baseball and now you've got uh major league baseball taking in the minor league reorganization putting some teams into independent leagues kind of scooping some indie teams out into affiliated ball the partner leagues everything that's going on it's it, it, i don't know if people care or understand but this is a remarkable turn of events over the last 3 or 4 years yeah, I really think that it it goes to show that um, independent baseball is a really high quality product, and there are a lot of really really good markets and and good facilities um, throughout the different independent leagues in the U.S. And um, you know, the the big thing for me has always been I've always kind of felt like independent baseball is sort of the best of both worlds in terms of fan experience. Um, Every seat, every seat in the stadium is is close to the field. You always have a good view. Uh, it's affordable to get in. Um, and whereas in minor league baseball, it's mostly about development and that kind of stuff. In independent baseball, every team is trying to win yep. every single year, and they're able to build their own rosters and have control over all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, you can you you see some guys who have longevity with with certain organizations, and um, you know, certain organizations who are able to um, get a lot of players back to affiliated ball and, and eventually to the majors and that kind of stuff. And I mean, I, like you said, I, I think independent baseball is, is very important uh, 
for the landscape of professional baseball throughout throughout this country. And I think it's going to become even more important now as I think we'll see an expansion an expansion of independent baseball across the country as there's going to be all these markets that have these existing facilities and are used to having these teams and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of area for, for growth on, on that part of the game with all of this minor league contraction stuff. All right, so people listening, I'm sure, are already very familiar with uh, Brew Crew Ball, but tell me what you and your team are doing right now uh, as we continue through the off season. Well, we just finished up with our um, free agency preview series, kind of taking a uh, thousand-foot look at all the players who are available at you know certain positions, all that kind of stuff. Um, and now we're going to kind of get into more team-specific, brewer-specific free agent targets, guys that um, you know could be available on the market this year that would make sense. That would make sense uh, both fit-wise and financially for the brewers. Um, and you know, we also started our uh, off-season plan project, um, which is where we kind of get uh, group ball readers and, and the community members involved, where we ask them to kind of take a look and and either take a guess of what the brewers are going to be doing this off-season and the kind of moves that they're going to make or to put themselves in the shoes of the general manager. And, you know, if you were the guy calling the shots, what kinds of deals would you be making and which kind of players would you be signing, all that sort of stuff. So uh, a great thing that we've done for the last um, five years now to to get the community members involved, and we've always had a, a really strong response to it. Well, Kyle, this was an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll catch up again uh, as the offseason continues to move on. Yeah, absolutely. Always appreciate you reaching out and giving me the opportunity. And hopefully next time we chat, we've got a little bit more exciting news to talk about. Kyle Lezeski joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about going to do it for this edition of the program. Just a reminder for you, we always do have Brewers Weekly on Thursday nights on WTMJ from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. I hope you will join us uh, for that. And we will be back again next week for another edition of the podcast. It is Brewers Extra News, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.